I am, I am thrilled and excited to be a part of, of what's to come. And what we're going to look at just in the time we have together tonight, we're going to look at three sections from the Bible that tell one story, one truth, that literally illustrate and illuminate how we do what Jeannie just talked to us about. How do we put love to work? How do we live a lifestyle like what we experienced this weekend with the Christmas store? How do we make our one and only lives really count? How do we become a light in this world. This is the third week in our Unto Us series, and we've been looking at kind of the Christmas story through some different lenses. The first week, we looked at the power of a God who is with us. We looked at God with us, and how the gift of Christmas is God with us. Last week, we looked at how God is for us, how God is for us. When we could do nothing for God, he did everything for us. And so we explored that last week. And then this week, what I want us to look at is what God might do through us. What could God do through us? What would God want to do through your life? What could God do through your one and only life if you allowed yourself to be used by him? If you lived fully surrendered to him? How might God make this life of yours really count? And how is it that you can actually shine in a world addicted to darkness? How does that work? What does that really look like? We're going to look at the bigger story of what God is actually inviting you into, but it ties in directly to the Christmas story. You see, God has, as we see throughout the Christmas story, God has this thing about light and the role that light plays in the world and what light does to darkness. We see it all through the Christmas story, right? And if you're familiar with the Christmas story, or at the very least you've seen the Charlie Brown special, you know sort of how the thing goes. Angels appeared to shepherds on a hillside, and not only did they fill the sky with song, but they fill the sky with what? With light. And it would be hundreds and hundreds of miles away. There were kings, there were rulers, there was rich folks that were watching the stars and kind of studying early astronomers. And they saw something they'd never seen before, a brand new star in the sky. It was a bright light. And they gathered up their most valuable possessions and left everything else behind and followed the light. And the light led them to Jesus. We, we participate in this tradition of light, whether we even realize it or not. Just by a show of hands, how many of you have somehow in your Christmas decorating either wrapped a dead tree or wrapped your house with lights? Would you just raise your hand if you've decorated somehow with Christmas lights? Maybe you even have a sweater that lights up at Christmas time. Right, okay, so we, when, just so you know, when you are doing that, you're participating in a great tradition of lights. If you've hung lights up at all anywhere this Christmas, you are, it, without even knowing, it's celebrating this idea of light. In fact, I want to just give you an idea for how the bar has been raised. And for those of you who have yet, maybe you didn't raise your hand, you have yet to set out your Christmas lights. That's okay. There's hope. I want you to watch this video from family in suburban Meridian, Idaho, and watch what they did and kind of just look at the bar they've set for your Christmas lighting. Check this out. Friends, I don't know if God's in that or not, but that's awesome. I don't know if that makes God happy or annoys him, but I, I think it's awesome. Now just, let me just say it again. 
That's a family's house. They live on a street in the suburbs. Can you imagine being that guy's neighbor? Because you know it starts in like September. He starts unraveling all the lights. You're like, really, Al? Again? Really, Skrillex? We're really doing this for Christmas. Just so you know, that was 20 seconds of a 12-minute light show that they play 10 to 15 times a night. Yes, they are participating in the great biblical tradition of light. Now, what I want us to do is I kind of want us to look at this whole idea of what it means for you and I to be a light through maybe a bigger lens than you might have ever looked at before. And I want to connect some dots that are woven throughout the story of the Bible and are woven right up to this very moment in your life. So I'm going to ask you to grab a Bible. We're going to look at how it is that you and I can actually live like light in a world addicted to darkness. You can grab a Bible, and if you have your own, fantastic. If you didn't bring one, we've got you covered. Would you grab one and open to Genesis chapter 1? I'm going to have you open to Genesis chapter 1. So you can grab a blue Bible. It's either in the seat back in front of you or under the seat in front of you there. You can grab that. Genesis chapter 1. Chase, there's the Bible right there in front of you. There you go. Yep. If you're going to sit in the front row, I'm going to call you out for not grabbing a Bible. All right. <laughs> I'm glad you're in the front row. It's the last week you'll ever sit in the front row. Genesis chapter 1. Here's the fun thing. In the blue Bible, it's page 1. So just go all the way to the left because we're literally going to start at the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, page 1. Normally when we open up the Bible, I try and give a little bit of context as to what's going on because we're always stepping into a bigger story, right? So we don't just kind of take things in isolation. There's a bigger story that God is telling. So let me give you the context of Genesis chapter 1. There's nothing. There's nothing. This is before anything. There's God in heaven, God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God sets out to create the world in which we now live. And so this is that story. So when there was nothing, God does something quite miraculous, quite amazing. Genesis 1, verse 2. Let's look at what happens. Now the earth was formless. That means there was just, it was just water that covered the earth. The earth was formless and empty. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. So God was in the midst of his creation. Verse 3. And God said, let there be what? Light. Maybe you've heard this or read this before. God spoke, let there be light. Let there be light. And the Bible says, there was light. God spoke it, and it became. It was so. Let there be light, and there was light. Genesis 1-4. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. He separated the light from the darkness. And this is a pretty powerful thing you have to think about. The power of God that can not only create everything around us that we can see, but literally creates by speaking it into existence. God looks out over a formless, dark world and says, let there be light, and there was. Light where it never existed before. God speaks it, and it is so. This is the power of the God that you can know. A God who speaks light, and it just is. This is the same God who can speak peace into your chaos. And when your circumstances are falling apart all around you, you can have something inside of you that God has spoken into existence. You can have peace even in the midst of chaos. God can speak hope into your deepest 
fears and anxieties, your fear of being alone for the rest of your life, your fear of failure, your fear of rejection, God can just speak the word hope into existence in your heart and everything about your perspective changes. God can speak love into your deepest pain, into the pain that you thought defined you, into the pain that you thought was the end of your story, the pain of not having someone to spend the rest of your life with, the pain of a breakup, the pain of a divorce, the pain of the loss of a child, the pain of not being able to have a child when you want to, the pain that you thought defined you. God can literally speak love into your pain, and it is so. You can be loved even in difficult and challenging circumstances. This is the God who speaks light into our darkness. And what's so powerful and so amazing is God not only spoke light into that darkness, but the light that he spoke began to grow and expand and work its way out through the universe that God created. He spoke it and it grew and it grew and it grew throughout the universe, well beyond anything we will ever know or be able to see with human eyes. See, I learned a little bit about this when I was in college. I I took an astronomy class. I'm not sure if maybe you had to take one too, but I had to take an astronomy class. But they made a huge error in the timing of this astronomy class because the astronomy class that I took was a morning class. And I'd ask you if you remember morning classes, but I guarantee you, you do not. And there's nothing worse than an 8 a.m. class where when you walk in, they turn off the lights to look at stars To me, this is an invitation to a nap. They're asking me to nap. I was surprised they didn't give me a blanket. So I had an 8 a.m. astronomy class, and I'm going to be honest, I don't remember a ton from it, but I do remember hearing something that really caught my attention. For the first time, I'd never heard this before, and what I was hearing was actually what the framework of our modern understanding of how the universe exists is. I'd never heard this before. See, for hundreds and hundreds of years, the leading theory about our universe is that our universe is static. That what is, is what is. The planets that we see are the planets that we have. In fact, this was Einstein's view of the universe, that we live in a static universe, that just sort of everything that we can see is sort of in place and locked, and that's just the way it is. But there was an astronomer and a scientist named Hubble. Maybe you've heard of his telescope. He began to look at the universe differently and say, no, 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 no. All of our assumptions about a dynamic universe might actually be completely unfounded. And the more he began to look and the deeper that he began to look into our universe, he began to notice that things were not static, but they were actually dynamic. And that the universe was, in fact, actually growing and expanding. And that things were not staying still, but they were moving as though they were spoken from one point and began to spread out. Now, what many scientists cannot agree about the origin of the universe, just about every scientist now agrees that it has no end as far as we can tell and as far as we can see. The further and further we look, the more and more we see. 
In fact, I brought along a picture of the farthest star that we're actually able to record right now with our best technology. Now, you can't see it's a tiny little red dot kind of to the left, bottom left corner of the screen, but there's a tiny little star which represents the farthest star that we can see. And this is, again, with our best technology, we can look at a star that these numbers mean they're so hard to even comprehend. But the farthest star that we can actually see and record with our technology is 13 billion light years away. And the more we keep looking, the more we keep seeing, and the more we understand, the more we begin to know that our universe is actually growing and expanding. This is such an amazing concept. You know what's so amazing about this picture, actually, is I took it with my iPhone, which is really... I have the new one, so it, it, you can see in the space. What an amazing concept, Right? That things are not actually static in this universe. They are dynamic. Because we have a dynamic God who spoke light into existence. And that light not only came to be, but is becoming, is growing and going further and further and further into the universe that we will never be able to fully see or understand with human minds or eyes. And as the uh, Apostle John was trying to wrap his head around some of the reality of this light that was spoken into existence of God, and as he was coming around to give an account of the life of Jesus, and specifically when the Apostle John sat down to write down the Christmas story, he leaned into and borrowed some language which we just read about, and the idea that we just looked at, I want us to look at it together, it's found in John chapter 1. So I want you to jump over from Genesis 1 to John 1. In the Blue Bible, it's page 739. Page 739 in the Blue Bible. It's John chapter 1. Let me just give you a little context because I can actually do that here for John. John is referred to as the beloved disciple, meaning that he was this one that was extra close, very close to Jesus, had a deep friendship with Jesus. Jesus loved him very much. Many scholars believe that he was younger than the rest of the disciples. So there was this kind of special like mentor sort of disciple relationship that Jesus had even more especially with John. In fact, Jesus loved and trusted John so much that from the cross, Jesus looks down and the only disciple to be found at the cross is John. And he looks into John's eyes with the last few words he had. And he looked at John and he looked at his mother and he said, John, you now take care of my mother. Will you take care of this woman who's loved me from conception to this very moment of crucifixion? So this is a very special person, an important person to Jesus. And so as John is sitting down to write out the Christmas story, Matthew gives us a ton of details in history. Luke is very specific about the timing of things. But John borrows from those first couple opening lines of the Torah, of Genesis 1, and takes that image and breathes new life into it. John chapter 1, we'll start with verse 1. Listen to these words and tell me if these don't sound familiar from what we just read. John says, in the beginning, in the beginning was the word. Now he's using this to describe Jesus. Again, how did light come into existence? What did God do? He spoke it. John's saying, listen, Jesus is a word, literally like a word spoken. He's referring to Jesus as the word of God, the truth of God, God embodied and God incarnate. He says, in the beginning was the word, that being Jesus, and the word was with God. That means that he's a member of the Trinity, that he was there at the moment of creation. And he says the word was God or is God, that he's actually, what John is doing here is revealing the divinity of Jesus. He was with God in the beginning. And through him, Verse 3, all things are made, and without him, nothing has been made that's been made. Now listen to this. In him was life, and that life was the what? The light 
of all mankind. And John goes on in John 1, 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Just as God spoke light into darkness and separated darkness, the light was not only spoken from God, but it has prevailed. And darkness has yet to extinguish the light that God spoke into our world. And John is saying, look, God not only spoke into the light that we can see all around us, but God literally spoke light through his son, Jesus. The God who spoke light into existence became the light of the world so that we might see God. The first light that God spoke allowed us to see things, see our hands, see everyone in front of us. The second light that God spoke being Jesus allowed us to see God. He spoke the light into the world. He spoke hope into darkness. He spoke life into death. Friends, this is what and why we celebrate at Christmas. Because we have seen the light. We've seen and recognized the light that God has come, that he's given us his precious and only son. And when you see the son, you see the light of God. And you can actually now see God. This is why we sing and why it's so important for us to sing. It's why we sing every Christmas song we can cram into the season here at Soul City Church. It's why we worship every week because we need to be reminded that we have seen the light. And when you've seen the light, you've seen God. And everything changes in the light. The darkness has yet to overcome the light. It was not only spoken into existence, it has prevailed. It has prevailed and it has grown. We see the light through the baby Jesus. John borrowing from Genesis 1, isn't that beautiful? In the beginning was the light and this light has not only separated darkness, it has defeated darkness. But that little light born in that little manger in Bethlehem, grew up to become a man. And Jesus takes the metaphor one step further. So I want you to jump back to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to jump back a couple books to Matthew chapter 5. It's the last uh, section of the Bible we're going to camp out in tonight. Matthew chapter 5, page 677 in the Blue Bible. Page 677 in the Blue Bible. Jesus grows into a man, and what we have recorded here in Matthew chapter 5 is the, the longest and, and most famous sermon of Jesus. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe you're familiar with it. The Sermon on the Mount. This is where the, thing, the Beatitudes, if you've ever heard of this kind of list of blessed are, blessed be, blessed are those. This is a part of that sermon. As a part of that sermon, some of the opening lines of that sermon, Jesus, the light of the world, says something really interesting about you and about me. Moving from Genesis 1 to John 1, now to Matthew chapter 5. We'll start in verse 14. Listen to what Jesus, the light of the world, says. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. John declared, no, Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus says, no, you are the light of the world. You are actually the light of the world. You are. You now are the light of the world. If you have seen God and know God, you are the light of the world. You are. You are, Jesus says. This is the light of God saying, no, you are actually the light in this dark world, a world addicted to darkness. You are light. He goes on to say, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. A town on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, let me just kind of explain the metaphor here. For those of you who've grown up in the Midwest or lived here a long time, a hill is like, um, well, it's like where the land kind of goes up for a little bit and then it goes back down. Like imagine if a building was made out of dirt. That's a hill. Maybe that helps. 
Jesus says, for those of you who ever come into a town where you've seen a hill and there's a city up on a hill, and we actually have those here in the suburbs, you can kind of drive out and see, when you see kind of a city kind of up on a hill or you see houses or you know, shops or stores up on a hill, you can't miss it. You see it from actually a, a good distance off. You can see that. Just like you can see our skyline from a good distance off. You see it and you can't hide that. And in fact, you're drawn to it. It becomes a marker, a place for you to look at, a place for you to actually go to. Jesus says, that's what you are like. You're like a town built on a hill and your life should not be hidden away. Your life is not insignificant. Your life not only matters, your life is meant to be on display for all to see. He goes on to say, listen, people don't light a lamp only to put it under a bowl. That just makes no sense at all. It's like turning on a light in your house and then throwing a blanket over it. It's not only dumb, it's a fire hazard. Why would you do that? Jesus says, why would you have the light of God in you only to cover it up, only to deny its brilliance, only to deny its power? No, you are the light of the world. And people don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone. Everyone in the house. Everyone stumbling and fumbling through a world of darkness. Everyone who's desperately desiring hope and life. It gives light to everyone. You give light to everyone. Verse 16, in the same way, in the same way, will you let your light shine before others? Let your life shine before others. Now, this is fascinating. Look at the choice of words. Look what Jesus says is sort of the indicator of people who are living as the light. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good theology and glorify God in heaven. That's not what he says. That they may see your right answers and glorify God in heaven. Is that what he says? that they may see that you made a strong point about your side of this position. Is that what he says? Because that's what we've boiled it down to. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You live as a light, and as you do, they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. They will see good deeds like a Christmas store. Good deeds like being a personal shopper to a family who just wants to get good gifts for their kids. They will see your good deeds like providing coats in a very, very, very cold city, in a dark time, in a hurting time maybe in someone's life. Your little good deed becomes an act of worship that someone sees as light and ultimately, whether you ever get to see it or hear it or not, becomes an act of praise to God. They recognize the source of the light. That it's not you, but it's the God that you reflect. They would see your good deeds, like getting behind two great schools in this neighborhood, getting behind a great organization like Breakthrough Urban Ministry, being a part of love works, of loving our neighborhood really well, that they would see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You have been invited by the God who spoke light into existence, who became light for the world to see, you have been invited to be now that light in your world. At your work, in your home, among your friends, wherever you go, whoever you're with, no excuse is big enough or get this dark enough to keep your light from shining. I mean, you don't understand. You don't know, man. You don't know the guys I work with. You don't, you don't get, the, 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 like, my work environment, man. You would, it's not, I can't even, I don't even talk, let alone talk about God. You, you know what? 
I bet that there are good deeds that you can do at your work, small things done with great love, that'll be like a little spark. But in a room of darkness, a little spark makes a big difference. I bet in your family, oh, you don't get it, man. We have, we redefine dysfunctional in our family. You know, we got this and we got that and you don't understand how this works. I get it. No, I, I understand. I don't know all of your family dynamics. I just know the God who spoke light into nothingness. He's the same God who sent his son into this world. And that son said that you actually are light. So I don't know the dynamics of your family, but I do know the God who actually created your family and loves them more than you. So I do know that light's possible in that scenario. Oh, you don't get it, man. It's so hard at school. It is so tough to be a light on my campus, man. No one cares at my school, man. It's just party. No, I, I know I get it. You have a ton of darkness around you. What a great opportunity for you to be a small light in the midst of that. And you have no idea how far that will go or how much that might change one person's perspective of God, that they would see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So as we walk into the rest of this Christmas season and think about what it means to live out, to be invited by the God of the universe, to be a light in our world, I think we got to get real honest and answer a couple questions. Because whether we realize it or not, all of us right now, whether you realize it or not, all of us are reflecting something in our life. Your life, your choices, your actions are reflecting something, some value, some pattern, some way that some life that you saw lived. So the, crest, the question for us to really consider simply is this. What is your life reflecting right now? Like if we were to take something as powerful as the Hubble telescope and like examine your life, if we put you up on the screen and said, okay, class, what do you think their life is all about? What is it that they value? What are they reflecting? What, what, what are the priorities? What are the things that drive their life? If we were to ask your kids, what drives daddy's life right now? What's most important to daddy? If we were to ask your husband, what, what matters most? What, what do you think drives her? What, what, is, what is she reflecting right now? What would they say? What would you say? And maybe more specific to our conversation here tonight and what we've been hearing from God tonight is not just what is your life reflecting, but more specifically, who is your life reflecting? I'm just answering honestly here. I think it's a very important question. If we're going to live the life that God's invited us to live, then whose life, whose values, whose agenda are you currently reflecting? Are you kind of stuck in the momentum of a like, career path and a drive at work, which maybe started out as a great thing and you wanted to achieve and kind of, but maybe you're kind of stuck in a rut and you don't even realize it, but it is all about your career path and your career agenda. And so the life that you're reflecting is just your own internal drive and desire to succeed or to accomplish something. Again, it may have started from a good place, but you may be lost in it. Who is your life reflecting right now? When you look at your body, when you think about who you are and you think about, oh man, I'm not this and I have to change this about myself and you are looking at the world around you and determining what beautiful is based on that, whose beauty are you reflecting right now? Whose desire are you seeking right now? Whose life are you reflecting? What is the light that you are being drawn to and therefore Reflecting, what's the thing that's caught your eye and your attention that you thought mattered so much, but if we were to put your life under the microscope, if we were to examine it, what would people really say? What matters most? What drives you? Whose life 
are you reflecting? And how might you this Christmas, how might you this next year, allow your life to reflect the God who loved you so much that he sent his son as the light in this world and that same son who called you to be a light in this world? What would it look like for you to reflect him this Christmas? To allow your life to reflect him in the small and ordinary everyday things you do. Something has shifted in me to the point where I, I try as best I can, as best I can to look at the opportunities that God has given me, the life that God has given me, the people he has around me, the stuff that I have. I, I, I want as best I can to reflect him wherever I'm at and whatever I'm doing. Certainly don't, certainly don't do it perfectly. But something has shifted in me where I, be, I believe that I'm seeing the purpose that God has for my life, and it's much bigger than just reflecting me and my goals and my agenda. And so I want to share with you just for a moment some of the things that I've learned from watching other people. As I've looked at other people and their life reflects the light and love of God, and I've gone, oh, I want, to, I want to reflect what they're reflecting. And so I've watched them and learned from them and just practices. These are, okay, so we're going to move kind of like from, you know, deep, you know, kind of biblical thoughts here to now some really practical ones. Is that all right for a moment? I'm going to just share with you a couple things that I've learned that you can actually put into practice tonight, wherever you go, whoever you're with, or whatever you're doing. When we leave here tonight, and as you enter into this next week, and as we walk through Christmas together, here's a couple small things. I look at the people that God has me with as an invitation, an opportunity to be light, however I can and whoever I'm with. A couple examples. There's a restaurant that I go to a ton here in the neighborhood. Some would say too much. I just love it. I, I, I schedule and redirect meetings to have lunch there. I make up meetings with myself just to have lunch there and have time there. So I love it. And over the time of about the last year or so, this restaurant being open, I've built a relationship with the manager there. His name is James. And something in me just says when I see this guy, because I know, like, if you've ever worked in the service industry before, anyone ever been here, been a server, or I was a pizza delivery guy for a while, that's like the lowest on the food chain of servers, right? So I was down there doing that. And if you've ever had to do that for people before, or maybe you've worked in the mall, this whole idea of, like, helping others can be a drain and a drag sometimes, can't it? And you work so hard to make everyone else's experience great, and sometimes you can go all day completely unnoticed and unknown. It can be exhausting. You're like, really? I'm doing all this for you. You don't even see me. Oh, and then you left me a dollar tip? Thanks. So, you know, it can be exhausting. So I said, you know, I want, as best I can, I want to be a light to James. Whatever that may look like, God, would you allow me to be a light to him? And so there's a couple things that I began to do with him. And also with another friend of mine, Dee, uh, who cuts my hair. She's been cutting my hair for about a year and a half now. And we've built a friendship over the last year and a half. And I just kind of set aside some things in the beginning to do like, God, would you allow me in some small way? These people are going to sit here and they're going to kind of serve me. God, would you allow me to serve them somehow in being a light to them? So a couple of very small practical things that I've seen others do and that I've put into practice in my life that maybe would help you be a light to God and be present with others as you encounter them throughout the course of this week and this season. First is, I, I really try as best I can to look people in the eyes. That's going to sound like a no-brainer. Of like, of course, you look people in the eyes. Not so, actually, in our culture. Most of our eyes are down at a screen right now. Or when you talk to someone, you're nodding at them, but you're texting someone else. We've lost the art of presence. And so I try as best I can to give the gift of presence. He's stuck with me for as long as I'm at his table. She's stuck with me for as long as I'm in her chair. So I want to be as present with them as possible. So I will look in their eyes. And then I try and do it again. This is like some one-on-one kind of stuff, but maybe you already practice things. Maybe this will help. 
So I'm trying to look in the eyes and I'll learn their name. Anytime I'm at a restaurant, I'll ask my server's name, make sure that the whole time I'm with them, I call them by their name because I don't know, that just maybe emboldens a little dignity in them to actually hear their name called. So I learned Jay's ne- or James's name. I learned Dee's name early on. I called them by their name every time I see them. And then when I was with them, I tried as best I could to ask good questions. Instead of just, how's it going or how you doing? I, I try and ask a little bit more meaningful questions. So, hey, how's this Christmas kind of shaping up for you? What's this Christmas going to look like for you and your family? And I kind of know each of their little family dynamics. So how's it going to work this year with your mom? Or how's it going to work this year, you know, with kind of the kids and the setup that you have there? I try and ask as best I can, like, hey, what's this week been like for you? How are you holding up? Where's your head at? Where's your heart at? Now, again, you may be like, that's way too much to ask. I didn't ask them the first time I met them. But over time of building that relationship with them, I would say, I just try and ask a good question that would evoke conversation because that person matters to God. And this may be the only moment I ever have with them. And I want to be a light in the moments that God gives me. So I ask, I try as best I can to ask good questions. And then I do this. This is a, something I've had to learn. After I ask a good question, I listen <laughs> to what they say. Because in my head, I'm trying to rush and race to the next thing to say or I'm already thinking about something else and something I think is more important than being present with the person that God has put in my path. So if I'm going to ask you a good question, it's on me to listen to what you say and to really listen to you and to hear you. And then, as appropriate, when God provides opportunities, I speak into their life. I speak in. Hey, you know, what I kind of hear you saying there, what I sense is going on there, hey, do you realize that's actually... This is kind of a truth about who God is. And you may not even realize this, but you're already experiencing that. Or it sounds like that's really what you're looking for. It was so fun as building a relationship with James. After about six months of going to the restaurant, every time talking to him, we could swap numbers. I'd text him, hey man, I'm heading over. I would love to see you. And also, can you put my name in for a reservation? Okay, it's a give and take. He gives and I take. And so, um, so we would connect and connect. And finally, at one point, he goes, hey, he goes, this may sound a little weird, but can you and I like hang out sometime outside of the restaurant? Absolutely. Absolutely. He's like, can I just like, can we go over and and meet at your place? Referring to the church, like my shop. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You can come over to my shop. I'll save you a table. It was so fun as we began to talk again, talk about life and as I saw and God gave me an opportunity to speak in, what I saw was he was just working so, so, so hard. And he would self-admit that he was kind of losing sight of his soul. Faith has kind of been a part of a story. I think he would, he would tell you it hasn't as much recently as he'd want it to be. And so I just said, hey, James, I want to tell you about a, a biblical practice that I think could actually really help you. The Bible talks about this. In fact, God lays it out really early about this idea of Sabbath, how our soul needs to rest and recharge. And it sounds to me like you could really use the Sabbath. I know your schedule's crazy. You work all, you know, 12 hours, and then you're on the phone or email trying to solve problems till you go to bed. But can you find an hour this week? Can you find one hour where you can go to a place where you feel most alive and just be there and turn your phone off for an hour? He's like, yeah, I'll try that. I gave him a book to read. I'm like, you know, I think this book might help. You might want to read this and just see what happens. This is what's so fun. One week later, because I'm in there at least once a week, one week later, I'm back, and I see James in the restaurant. He goes, I did it. I go, away. he goes, I did, the, I did the, the rest thing. I went to the lake, and I sat, and I just, I just wrote, and I wrote, and I wrote, and I began writing again, and I haven't written for years. And he's like, it felt so good. 
And he goes, oh, and I read that book. <laughs> I was like, I need to get you longer books, James. What's fun is, I, again, this is not about me. This is about the God who's given me life. And so I want to offer that and share that with whoever he brings across my path. Dee is my friend. I love Dee. She's moved from someone who cuts my hair to a friend that matters to me. And what's so fun is, you know, we get to talk. I eventually said, Dee, I, you know, we kind of got to where we were at in our conversation, our friendship. I'm like, Dee, I would love for you to come and see what I'm talking about. What I talked to you about in the chair, like, I'd love for you to, again, to come to my shop. And this time I'll face you instead of talking to you through the mirror. And I want you to come to Soul City Church. And you know what's so awesome? She did. And she's been coming here for about the last six months. You know what's so great about, what I love about Dee? And she drives here every week from Gary, Indiana to come here. Friends, it's not because of me. That's because she is drawn to a city on a hill. A light that is not covered up in this church. A place where we believe God is at and moves and we have undeniable transformational experiences with him. My job is to not try and make it all make sense for them. My job is to just be a light, to let my good deeds point to a great God. And whoever I'm with and wherever I'm at and whatever I have, it's a gift from God. And so it's on me to give what's been given to me. See, this is what being a light simply is. This is what it boils down to. It's you learning to give what's been given to you. That's it. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have it all figured out. It's not your responsibility to move this person or this situation through life. It is your job to be a light into this world. The God that spoke light into existence. The God that gave his son as a light to the world. The God who sends you into this world is asking you to be what you already are. A light that draws the eyes of this world to him. Whoever you're with, wherever you're at, Whatever you have can be leveraged to be light. So what's it going to look like for you to begin to reflect the God who loves you and loves this world? How can you start where there's darkness around you? What are some of the places where you look at and go, man, I don't, I don't know, God, I, this is just my family. I never even thought that you might actually have me on mission in my family. God, I never thought that there would be a deeper purpose to my roommate scenario and setup. God, I never thought that it worked, that this would be something you'd ask me to do. But God, you've already said that I am light. If I'm in a relationship with you, then that is who I am. And so God, what would it look like for me to do some good deeds that point to a great God this week? Small things that reflect a good God. Simple grid, simple grid for you to consider when you're thinking about giving what's been given to you. Just a very simple grid, something to think about if this kind of qualifies, if this is you. First question, do you have things? Second question, do you know people? Third question, do you go places? Okay, if you said yes to any one of those, then that's an opportunity for you to be a light. I want you to think about this next week and who you're going to be with and where you're going to be at and what God has given you in this life that you can freely offer to others because that's how you become the light. That's how you live out who you actually really are is you look at your stuff, you look at who you're with and you look at where you're at and say, God, it's all for you. In this moment, with this server, with this person at Target, with my spouse, with my kids, with my coworkers, with my roommate, I want to be a light. 
I want to be a light, God, that shines for you. I don't want to hide my life under a bowl. I want to live it out for you. And so for the next few moments, we're going to do just that. I'm so excited where we're going for the next 50 days as a church as we pray like we've never prayed before, that God would move us like we've never moved before, that we would give like we've never given before, and we would serve like we've never served before. Friends, we are in for an only God ride over the next 50 days. And so we're going to start that and kick that off by really considering and weighing right now and reflecting how it is that God is inviting you to be a light right now today, right now today. So I want to give us a moment to be quiet and be still. And in a moment, we're going to respond to God through worship, through singing, through declaring the truth of who he is, through asking him to awaken something in our soul, to stir something us, up in us, to help us see the bigger picture of who he is and what he's doing. And we're going to give back to God like we always do here at Soul City Church. We're going to put into practice what it means to give what's been given to us. We're going to receive an offering here. We do it every week as part of our worship because we believe that everything we have comes as a gift from God. And so we want to freely give it back to him to invest in what he's doing in this neighborhood, in the city, and around the world. And as he does that, he does something else really powerful. He does something in here in me. He grows my heart. He awakens my soul. And he helps me see the bigger life and light that he's invited me to be a part of. So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to give and sing and respond to God and kick off this Love Works campaign with a joyful song and hope in our hearts. So let's pray together right now. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you didn't just see darkness. You didn't just write us off, God. You didn't just move along. You moved in. And you gave us your light to call us back to you, to guide us through this world, to remind us of the hope of who you are. You gave us your son Jesus as the light that points to you so that when we see him, we see you. And Jesus, you're sending us out into our world to be that light. The light that God spoke continues to grow and grow, and it's growing and expanding through us. And so God, would you help our church be that kind of church? that points to the love of a great God through good deeds, through being good neighbors, through being present with the people we're with, for seeing the bigger picture of our lives and the things that we have, the places where we're at. Would you grow something in us, God, stir something in us that allows us to pray and to give and to serve like never before. God, we are excited to see what you are going to do through us this year end and this year start. So we open ourselves up to you, God. Make ourselves available to you now. We give to you, we sing to you, and we trust you, God, with all of who we are. It's in your name that we pray.